Okay. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to this episode of the Omnichannel Podcast, brought to you by Omnichannel X. Uh, my name is Nazarbina, and I've got with me today Sarah Richards. Um, so, those of you who are uh, followers of the podcast, you'll 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 know about the conference coming up already um, in uh, June of next year in Amsterdam. If depending on when you're listening to this, that could be also in the past. But uh, June June eighth to tenth, twenty twenty, in Amsterdam, you can check it out on omnichannelx.digital. That's uh, uh, omnichannelx.digital. So uh, my name is Nazar Bina, your your uh, dutiful host, and uh, please, Sarah, you want to tell your our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, so my name is Sarah Richards. I run an organization called Content Design London, and we're a small content agency um, in London, funnily enough, uh, in the UK, and we do content strategy, content design, and accessible content. Excellent. Okay. So I am hearing a lot about content design, and uh, I heard you wrote a, a book, which has been quite uh, well-received about the topic. So what is, what is that book called? Uh, so the book is called Content Design, funnily enough. <laughs> it's not very imaginative, but it does what it says on the tin. I like that. I like that. So what led you to content design? What's kind of uh, What was your background before content design? Civil service in the UK government, really. So it, 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 it actually goes a little bit further back than that. I studied design, actually. I went through uh, art school and I had batik printed dungarees and a shaved head with colored hair and all that sort of thing and i did the funky thing and shaved then, head and colored hair that's a hard one to pull off well, <laughs> half shaved head <laughs> <laughs> my head it was great no half shaved head and, and, and colored hair um and i did the kind of arty thing and then at some point like one of my lecturers said do you know what content uh, copywriters earn more money at that point and i was like oh i was terribly mercenary as a 19 year old so i just switched disciplines because i did <laughs> because why not um and so I went the kind of editorial route but all the the visual awareness and the spatial awareness all my training up to that point kind of stayed with me and it kind of bled through what I was doing in the content space so fast forward like years and uh in 2010 uh, Martha Lane Fox wrote a report for the British government that said, basically, do you know what? Your digital services are so bad. You just need to stop. Just stop. <laughs> she was like, I'm paraphrasing, okay? The report is on GovUK if you want to have a look. But she said, basically, like, um, you can't evolve this service because it is too bad. Just just uh-huh. stop and do something else. So Tear it down, start again. Exactly, exactly. So it was all about kind of, so that's how GDS was born, the Government Digital Service was born. And I went down at the very end of the alpha and was there from beta onwards. And um, I had a... When when about are we talking? So this is 2011 now, end of Mm -hmm. 2010, beginning of 2011. Um, And uh, I was actually standing outside in a freezing cold one of the directors and he said to me like what do you want for editorial what do you want and I just went off into one I was just kind of like having a rant about all the problems that I'd seen in government because I've been in government about I don't know four or five years by then Hmm. and people saw us content team as proofreaders because the policy people and the legal people, they had all the expertise and all the power. 
and they didn't actually value our skill of being able to communicate really well. Um, so they kind of just let us proofread. And I said, I, I had enough. You know, we have that skill and they have expertise in their thing, but we have expertise in communicating that thing mm-hmm. and letting us do that. Um, and at that time, I had designers and developers sitting right next to me. So I was kind of like, we we can now do so much more than just words. We can have tools, calculators, calendars, whatever it is that serves the user need. We can design it. And so that's where the term content design came from. Um, and it went around government and it, it, everybody was kind of sniggering up their sleeves at us. They're like, you're calling yourselves what now? Content is like, oh, you're so pretentious and all that. And it was kind of like, yes, that is the point of this, actually, to change the conversation because they all knew me. Like Mm -hmm. for years, they've been working with me and telling me like, no, Sarah, you can write this or we're going to pull your funding or we're going to go over your head and your boss is just going to say yes anyway, so you might as well get on with it. And we had to reset that relationship. So by changing the name, at least even though... Some of them, not all of them, not all of them, but some of them are really derogatory. Um, we could actually say, okay, but this is the conversation that we need to have now. Because one, you can't get to a content management system. It's just me and my team. <laughs> <laughs> and two, your 4,000 words article on how to put on a jumper when it's cold, that's going. That's just going. Um, and if we want to have tools, calculators, calendars, we're going to do that. We're not just writing writing your words anymore. We're not just proofreading for you anymore. So, you know, there was a design element to it. Um, okay. So that's where the that's where the term and the discipline came from. Okay. 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 So I. Um... <laughs> I'm still getting up to speed with content design. You know, I've heard your name and I, I've, I've got to your book, but I haven't uh, completely made my, my, made my way through it yet. So the, my first, I, I love the term. I actually, uh, I like it better some, than some of the other terms for similar sounding things out there. But for, you know, to educate me and our listeners, can you distinguish it a bit from some of the other roles or disciplines that they may have heard of more often, like content modeler, content engineer, content strategist, et cetera? It's, it's really ironic that the entire industry that works around words cannot define themselves. Tell me about it. <laughs> the thing is, the thing that we find is that um, each organization will ask for something and then it will go two routes. One, they don't really know what they're asking for. Or two, they do know what they're asking for, but they don't let the person do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So these kind of some of the things that we go through, but... From my part, um, the way that I define it, so just bear in mind this is very different for a lot of people, a content strategist will tell you what the kind of governance and process is. So they will tell you who is publishing what, where, on what channel, what success is, what value is, because those are two different things, Um, what language you should be using across the board. You know, it's more... It's more, some people would have seen it as an old school um, comms plan, but plus. It's a comms plan plus digital, plus all the people that are involved in creating everything across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, So a content strategist in my world will have that 
kind of um, remit. I, I just want to jump in there and say thank you for giving an omni-channel definition of the term, as opposed to something tied to websites, which, and of course, is a bugbear for me. So please, please continue. Right, right. This, this, this is one of my bugbears. It's like digital is about an inch in a foot-long journey of someone. And there you go, <laughs> you're agreeing. And it's just, it's tiny and uh, we need to understand the whole thing. And actually that's what content design does. It does use journey mapping. So we understand from trigger point, which is like way before you get to a computer or a device or whatever and you're looking for information. So a content designer will deliver on the content strategy. Really, they produce the content regardless of device, regardless of um, channel, they will produce content to fulfill a user need. And the content isn't words. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't need to be words. Yes. It could be a face-to-face -face service. I have an example of a health company who wanted a multi-million pound app. And when we did the user journey mapping, what they actually need is an A4 poster in doctor's offices. Oh. Right? That's content design. Because mm -hmm. it kind of it steals um, bits from all other um, uh, or a lot of other disciplines and pushes it together with a content bent. So we just kind of look at it from a different way. Now, I know that there will be other terms like UX writer and mm -hmm. writer, um, and editor. UX and micro copywriter. There you go. There you go. Often... So, but not limited to, often if you're a UX writer, you're in tools and transactions. Um, if you're a microcopy writer, you're definitely locked into the product. Um, but like I say, you know, the industries um, and uh, organizations within the industry are using all sorts of terms for all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But content designers have an understanding of the whole journey, regardless of channel, regardless of device, and understands how to serve those needs at the time that the user needs it. So it's not just about the product. It's not just about the interaction. It's about the whole thing. I Okay. So I think there's one little kind of clarification left, and then I'm going to jump up and down, um, which is the, 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 the writing. So can you, if you're, if you're a content designer, can you, design as in templates and uh let's say guidance for writing for other writers and not actually write yourself or do you feel that it's one in the same role hmm. no we do sketching so when we've got um the user journey map out we will sketch ideas mm -hmm. but that's probably as far as we take it and then we will write okay or we will do the logic for the tools or we will commission a video with a British Sign Language interpreter attached to it because we know that that's what the user needs at that time. Okay, so um, the content designer stays with the, the process and, and actually is, is writing. Because I'm thinking about how this applies in some of the organizations I've seen where, uh, like where is the right way to do hierarchy? For example, do you, and this, this happened in the content strategy community as well. Do you have one head of content strategy or one lead strategist who is setting kind of standards and then 
other content strategists can own subject areas or product areas or however your organization is is, is divided up. Um, and I'm wondering if you have many designer, designers who are also creating content, as we discussed, doesn't necessarily have to be writing the content. Um, how do you keep holistic consistency? You know, how do you, within a, a distributed content design slash creation team, if if you're both designing and writing, how do you make sure that the designs don't start to wander off in different directions? Okay, so we don't we don't do wireframes and we don't do interaction design and we don't do the element design. So we don't do those. What we'll do is tell you, well, how content designers should work is they have the content strategist sitting across the top. Mm-hmm. kind of decide everything and then you have lead designer content designers and, and content designers underneath so you they, do have lead content designers yeah okay yeah. depending on how big the team is right? mm-hmm. and then they should sit with a designer and they should be seeing the same thing so they've done the user journey mapping together they've mm-hmm. done the discovery together they've done the research together and so the designer is saying okay so this sort of interaction is this way and we know that they feel these sorts of things and the content person will say yeah these people are using this sort of language because they feel these sorts of things therefore we will put it into a tool a video or whatever mm-hmm. so they don't design the interactions that they sit with a designer, but there is more of a blurred role. Yeah, see, what's already happened here is I'm already slipping into shorthand. So I'm already saying designer when I mean content designer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's it. That, see, then this is the, how we have so much fun in our industry with language. <laughs> I, I had I had I didn't even notice that I was doing that, but I just okay. I immediately abbreviated. So we've been saying content designer. So I skipped to saying designers design content. <laughs> and so that's that's actually what I meant. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so when I say the design, I mean the content design. So it's this, it was, but I think you answered the question anyway, which is you do have some hierarchy in a large complex organization where you have a lead content designer who is kind of helping keep that consistency across content design. I. So getting by jumping up and down part, uh, this is, I, I, I'm almost kind of sold here. I don't want to commit because we are, you know, we're recording this and broadcasting it later and I, I don't want to commit on the fly um, after, mm-hmm. <laughs> after however many years and uh, using terms that I've been using. But this kind of happened to me with content strategy, strategy and content strategist as well, um, where uh, I saw a way of doing things and I saw certain things that were happening in the market and certain things that it needed to be that way, you know, because we couldn't keep doing it the old way. So I think there's a, there's a inherent logic in what you're saying, which I find so compelling that I'm like, I'm ready to jump on the term because what I've been doing is kind of getting out there and trying to paint the picture of how content strategists and designers and good writers, et cetera, should all work together. But you've kind of given it this, just call the whole thing content design and then you have a much easier conversation. Uh, and uh, so I, I really like it. And this is, somebody came to me one, one day and said, you're doing content strategy. You just don't know that that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, okay. And I've been a content strategist ever since. So uh, I, you may have changed the course of my career, Sarah. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm in a good way. This is good. Yeah, no, this is great, honestly, because I think that... Uh, I can't be enthusiastic enough about the importance of if you are creating the content, uh, um, be that words or be that 
video or be that a little bit of words, a lot of, lot of graphics or, or et cetera, infographics, whatever it is you're creating. If you're not plugging that into well-researched customer journeys, what are you doing? Yes. Yes, exactly that. So like I started as a copywriter in advertising agencies, large, well-known advertising agencies, and you would kind of get the products, you know, toothpaste, and you try the toothpaste out and you would just spin up a dream. And the copywriters still do that. And you know what? That's amazing. And that's great. And if they can do that, good. But I find it so much more interesting and rewarding, actually, to run from data. Maybe it's just easier because you know exactly what you've got to do. Mm-hmm users pretty much tell you and or or will tell you if you ask if you ask yeah exactly exactly and you just need to decide whether it's a reflection journey or a disruption journey so you just reflect their mental models what they need with their language and everything and you give it to them in the way that they understand that is very quick for them or you need to disrupt their journey because they're actually thinking the wrong thing Hmm. and you need to get in their way they are a lot harder disruption journeys um, the language is very different. The channels are very different. You do have to think more. It's a lot more creative. I love disruption journeys myself. Um, but, yeah, but you need to understand the two, and then you make a decision, and then you give them what they need. Uh, I, I love that terminology, disruption journeys and, uh, and reflection journeys. Yeah. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that before either, and this is just full of great new content. <laughs> um, so uh, the. I also like, I also, I'm, I'm just heaping on the praise here. I don't mean to be a, a sycophant, but the, I also like the fact that you're saying journeys, which is, that's, that's another bugbear of mine, which is organizations going, what is the user journey? What is the customer journey? And I'm like, you're a very large, complex beast and, the, and uh, a human being doesn't go on one journey. And definitely not all of your personas out there don't go on the same journey. So can we talk about this in plural? Let's, you know, let's call, let's call it out. Let's look at the reality and, and say, what, what do these people need? Um, but so in content design, um, do you, how do you work with the, the UX research group? How much of that are you kind of hands-on with, or do you kind of expect the UX research who's going out and building the journey maps? Do you kind of do that, or do you expect that to be done for you when you come in? So it, it, it's kind of interesting. At first, when I first started Content Design London, I said, we're not going to take on a contract unless you've got a researcher. And what I found was that we weren't going to be taking on any contracts at all. Um, <laughs> And actually, it became part of our job to sell in the value of user research. Mm-hmm. We do it in two different ways. Um, so one, we do a lot of desk research. So if an organization, we work with a lot of charities as well as big governments. So we have like a complete, you know, opposite end of the scale. Um, if you don't have a user research in there, we will still do a lot of desk research. We'll still use a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we won't move without it. And then if we can have a user researcher, brilliant, but we're in a discovery phase. And this is what I don't get about some organizations. They're still, despite there being a load of evidence out there, um, if we're in a discovery, when the designer is looking at the needs, so's the content person, but from a content perspective. Mm-hmm. So take an example. Um, 
Years ago, I worked for Citizens Advice. It's the largest advice-giving charity in the UK. And um, they can give you advice about anything, okay? And we were looking at participants and somebody coming to the bureaus because you can go into offices and get one-to-one advice. And he had a sleeping bag and he was like, on Friday, I have nowhere to live. I'm sleeping on the streets now. Um, I really need some help. I've been sofa surfing for two years now and I'm, I'm just at the end of it. I've got no friends or family that I can, that I can do anymore. And the bureau advisor, they are amazing people, volunteers usually. She unpicked his past two years of life and found that he was made illegally redundant. So let's just bear in mind that he'd lost his house, his wife, and access to his children in the past two years. Obviously, there were some mental health problems there because he had been on such a journey. He'd been sofa surfing and he'd been given a sleeping bag. So from a content perspective, if somebody had written in a search result, check your redundancy notice is legal. That's it. That's it he would have found it. But if you searched at the time, if you'd searched, um, been made redundant, it's all about you finding a new job. Mm. And he didn't know what he didn't know. That's a disruption journey, perfect Mm -hmm. disruption journey right there. But because nobody had put that into the search results, he had no idea even to ask that question. That is a content design problem. Mm. Design is not going to save you there, right? You're You're in search results. But the researcher should show you this sort of thing, and then we look at it from a content bent. So that's why I think that content designers need to be in at discovery. I think you sold me. I think I'm a content designer now. I no, really, no. Because it, I, I, I could, I couldn't agree with you more because it's, it's coming back to this. Um, you know, I, my, my background is in uh, was originally in technical communications, which I spent, uh, I spent many years in. Let's say. Um, Technical communicator self-loathing. Um, I was embarrassed about my technical communicator past because uh, I w- I got into the world, wonderful world of digital and marketing, and there was there's always kind of this mm, aspersions cast on the technical communication group that they were the, they were basically just uh, one step above of of the IT people. They just thought they could write. Um, that's that's the way it kind of felt when you walked into the, the marketing room. And now I now I wave my flag uh, proud because it, there was so much pressure in that environment to create only as much as you needed to, and and it was it was an altruistic communication division. It was about how do we support you in your use of whatever service, what service or product it is you've got. How can we help you? How can we be there for you? Give you just the right dose of information and then put you back on your on your way. And I, what I think everybody is realizing now, and the reason I'm not scared of talking about that anymore, is because now in marketing they're realizing, I, I no one wants to hear from us. It's, you know, nobody wants to hear our ads, and no one wants to read our pages. They want answers to their questions, or they, you know, sometimes you'll get like a pure entertainment service and that's fine. And then the question is always, should I spend my time in consuming this content or somebody else's? There's always a user question and they're always wanting to get something accomplished, even if that is whiling away an hour. So can we talk about what it is they're wanting? And if it doesn't address a real user need, don't create it. 
Uh, and so I think you're painting such a, such a nice picture here. And I love the content design term as something that brings all these bitty bits together, like content modeling, a bit of content engineering. I don't even know if you know that one, but that's, I, I got called a content engineer once and I'm like, I don't like that one. I don't want to be called an engineer. <laughs> um, so some people call this like a sub-discipline of content strategy, but I think this, it is the unification of content and design. Uh, and what you're actually talking about is direct collaboration between those two roles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So that leads me to my next question. So if you are, if you are a content designer, you're kind of inherently omnichannel. You're saying, I need to know what the content need is and wherever I need to know whatever channel that might be needed. So if it's got to be on five channels, we're going to be, we got to make that available on five channels. If it's only wanted on one, we can only do it on one. How do you pair that with the designer? Cause the designer may say, oh, well, I'm an app designer. Or I'm a web designer. How, do, how does that collaboration work? So with a lot of organizations, they, they take on content designers to work on websites only. And content designers will go, okay, but we don't need to because you're putting a lot of stress on one landing page. Mm -hmm. We haven't done all this stuff. Um, and I think it's moving, but it's moving really slowly, really, mm. really slowly because there is this view of like, well, I can write good emails, therefore everybody can write. Right. Right. Yeah, right. He's not a specialism. Right. Um, and yet we will put people in testing and go, okay, well, what's the user need? What should you actually be producing at this point? And they can't do it because it's not part of the skill. It's not just dreaming things up, which is an amazing skill, by the way. I'm not having a go at it. I'm just saying that there is a different way. Mm -hmm. You kind of can't call yourself a content designer if you're kind of not doing the thing because it's confusing everybody. Um so at the moment, it's kind of slowly, slowly, uh, over here, mm -hmm. uh, particularly, it's kind of that people are working on websites, but they're already moving into like letters and moving into marketing and marketing hate it, you know, because they see it as treading on toes, mm -hmm. but we can run an entire organization off of one bank of user needs and you end up with really consistent messaging across all your channels and it's a lot faster it's a lot more efficient why companies are spending tens of thousands on repeating things that aren't going anywhere just uh, mind mi millions so um i i i had the first half of my career uh <laughs> funded by uh translation savings oh okay because, you, you know, if you think about this, you're thinking about what you're doing, the amount of redundancy you're taking away from the primary language. You take, um, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to name drop, but let's say, let's say these large organizations, which are translating into 20, 30, 40 languages, yeah. and you multiply that 10, 15, 25,000 that they spend in creating in the, in the single language by all those languages, then you take into account the formatting costs for each one of those deliverables. Then you take into account the review of each one of those deliverables. Then you take into account, oh, we made a mistake. Go back and fix paragraph three across all those deliverables. And you're talking about millions and millions of dollars a year for yeah. any large corporate. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's a great example. Yeah. 
So, um, so you, you mentioned the E word a minute ago, uh, evidence, <laughs> evidence. I love it. Okay. So tell me, you said, you said there's evidence out there, which shows that, that which supports this approach. What, what can people look up? How can they defend themselves uh, against this, this just keep doing it the old way? The onslaught. Um, so there are two different routes here. One is that we have a global um, wiki. It's a collaboration uh, effort. It's called the Readability Guidelines. Oh, yeah. And it's available for everybody to have a wee look at. Um, it's at readabilityguidelines.co.uk. Um, and it has um, evidence and data for every style decision that we could get hold of at the moment. So there's over 700 people in Slack in 16 time zones uh, discussing evidence and data for every kind of style decision. Because we, we often see style decisions as something that a an organization should think about. And it's like, no, that's steeped in usability and accessibility. It's all been done. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why you're even creating a new style guide because it's science. Tone, different thing, entirely different thing. Mm-hmm style itself um the second one is that we've just actually we've just run a white paper or like a research document um into this and we will be releasing that next year oh so i have to backtrack a little bit uh you you mentioned the, the the style versus tone distinction so i know that a lot of my listeners will be uh uh i shouldn't say my listeners our listeners um will should be uh will be familiar with the voice and tone um and some of them will will say say voice and uh uh voice and tone and some of them which will which i keep slapping the wrist say tone of voice as if it was all just one thing um so when you say style is that the same as voice and do you want to talk a little bit about what what the difference is between tone and style Okay, so style is things like the way that you write the date, whether you put links at the end of sentences, the way that you write numbers, uh, what you capitalize, what you don't capitalize. Oh, right, okay. My cat has to join every webinar that I do. <laughs> Hello, cat. So I apologize. That's Say okay. Uh, our listeners won't notice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so style is, is usability. Mm-hmm. It just okay. is, and it's accessibility. It's the way that we understand things. Whereas tone is more about or voice. Um, actually, the whole thing is more in the brand side of the world. Got you. Okay. But some of it overlaps. So, for example, contractions, mm-hmm. negative contractions. So, do not into don't. Mm-hmm. Um, those can be more difficult in microcopy, particularly for people to understand. And again, we have evidence and data around that. So that is often coming from a, a point of brand where people are saying it's our it's our tone, you know, it's, mm. it's us, it's how we are going to not be formal with our audience. Um, but actually that's a kind of style decision because it's steeped in usability and accessibility. So some of them are a bit some of them are a bit wavy. Okay. Okay, so this is interesting. So this is again a a language thing. So I would have called that what you were talking about. You're a a writing standard, which it's what you're saying. Style would be writing would be covered for me in a writing standard, plus some other stuff. I've never said this on the podcast before. um, So just to clarify what I was talking about, um, 
when I say tone and voice, uh, in the same way that I have a voice, like if you kind of got to know me, you would know how I speak and you would even recognize it in writing. Yeah. So that's a constant. So that's my voice and brands want to have their brand voice. You want to sound like Nike, you want to sound like Microsoft, you want to sound like Hewlett Packard, uh, and so on and so on. Tone is contextual. So I'm in what, you know, I'm in podcast tone right now. If at the bar afterwards, I will be in a different tone. You know, the, your tone is, you know, it goes up and down depending on the situation. So error messages should have a different tone than, uh, you know, calls to action and so on and so on. So that's the kind of the, for the distinction that we're making. And so you're adding, you're drawing attention to the usability of what you're calling style. So, which is with the specifics of regardless of your voice and tone, these details are important to usability and accessibility. And so they deserve their own name. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So here, and I, I don't know. So over here, it's kind of, you get tone guides, you get voice and style and voice and tone and you get tone of voice and you get all of that. And it's just, mm-hmm. for me, it's off to the left. Oh, it's all fluff. Like uh, the, the average tone and voice guide is so, so high level and so yeah. not helpful. There are a few exceptions, which are, which are really kind of give you good, useful and contextual examples. Like if you're delivering bad news, then like this, if you're delivering a caution, then like this. Um, but that's really the exception. So I totally agree. Cause most people just either as, as, as you're doing earlier, just say tone, they say uh, tone of voice yeah. and a, a very few bother to make the distinction um, of tone and voice. And then again, you know, I wasn't even making distinction with style. I was kind of wrapping that up into a different area. So Mm -hmm. I think that these are all, it's, I think it's important that we make these distinctions. Um, um, I'm, I don't know what's as, you know, the terminology is going to keep percolating. That's how language works. Um, you know, you've, you've got one, one more convert today to content design as a term. (laughs) (laughs) Um, at least. So I, I'm, I'm loving this. So you've where, so where can people learn more? You've mentioned your white papers coming out. You've got, what, what was the, the website? So readabilityguidelines.co.uk. It's okay. a, so it is an open collaboration effort. We're moving platforms at the moment so that it's on a better um, site so that people can get more involved. Cause the one that we're on at the moment is like the third one and it's still rubbish. Um, Technology. Yeah. Uh, and we have like super contributors, um, who lead sessions. So it's not just a content design London thing. We lead sessions and excitingly, we're actually publishing a book on it, which Mm -hmm. is insane because it's a wiki. And so we add to it all the time. And I was like, we would never do a book. Um, but the community said actually a book would be a really great thing because it's not, it's like preaching to the converted with content people. I can tell Mm -hmm. you. A 72-word sentence with high punctuation is going to confuse people. But if I was to take that to a stakeholder who really wants their 72-word sentence, uh, I would need all the evidence and the studies behind me. And actually, it gives it more gravitas. If it's in a book, it's like it's in a book. Yeah, it's not a website. It's not just another website. It's a real book. And we've got um, links to all the research as well. So it's like you go look it up because suddenly you know it's not just me saying it um, how, how have i not heard of this <laughs> i don't know how have you not 
out of this. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we have to talk about SEO later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you've got, okay. So you've got the, the website, the white paper's coming out. Um, yeah. your, what's your, what's your Twitter? Uh, content design LN. Content design LN. And then we got the book itself. Awesome. Anything else you want to share with our, with our listeners? <laughs> uh, I think that's probably enough. Okay. Well, thank you. It has been a lovely chat. Uh, um, one of my, one of my favorites, um, and such, um, a new yet familiar perspective, which is a lovely thing. Do you know what? It's amazing. A lot of tech writers fall into content design really easily because mm-hmm. it's just another layer on top of something that they already know. The same with journalists and with some marketing people as well. So, mm. It's just nothing. Actually, can I say um, something about the courses? Of course, go ahead. So um, we run a two-day content design course, mm-hmm. which will take you through everything. So desk research, how to get language, how to apply it to the pages, all the latest research on how people use the internet, and we change that regularly. Um, so any new updated research comes out, we feed that in. And then it's how to talk about it in the organization. So we run crits, critiques, mm-hmm. um, their writing, and all sorts. Um, and actually, we were planning to run one in The Hague next year. So if mm-hmm. anybody would like to get in touch as uh, that they're interested, then we can send out details when when we're ready. Okay, I hope it's not June eighth to tenth. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Okay, brilliant. Yes. All right. That's awesome. So thank you again. Uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. Uh, you can check out all those resources that uh, Sarah just listed, and of course, on, as I said, omnichannelx.digital. Uh, you can check out slash podcast for more episodes or catch us on iTunes and Spotify. Otherwise, uh, thank you all, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Sarah.